was was various false teachers started to roam through these churches and, and started to make a name for themselves and started to pull people away uh, to, these other, to these other teachings. And so some of the things that Paul was confronting as you read through the book of Colossians is he was, he was confronting the idea of that there are there's secret knowledge. That the closer you get to God, the more secret things he's going to reveal only to you that other people don't know. And so knowing these things is a sign that you are more spiritual. Another thing that he's confronting is blending human philosophies with the gospel. Taking things that seem true, using some God language with, with them, and then promoting, uh, promoting those teaching, teachings. There's also the, the appreciation of Jesus. We have this tendency that, to, that we want to we reduce Jesus more to our level. So Jesus wasn't God. Jesus was a man. He was a good teacher. He was, he was a lot of things, but he wasn't what he said he was. And instead, we, Jesus was getting substituted with the worship of angels. And then the, the final thing is requirement for religious practices. That, that it's, not just, it's not just stepping into to faith in Jesus. It's faith plus other things. And that's where, where we pick this up. But all of those themes that I just mentioned that Paul is addressing to these churches, that's what's going on in church now. We, we have all of these, these ideas of there are, there are Bible secrets that only those super close, that, that we have human philosophy that's coming in and being mixed with God's philosophy. We have the depreciation of Jesus. All these things make us, make us feel more comfortable. And so this passage that, that starts at the end of chapter 2 and goes into chapter 3 is kind of, the, kind of the transition of the book of Colossians. The first half, the first two chapters, it's not super long. Read it when you get home. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great little read. The first half is about the supremacy of Christ. It's about who he is, about where we find completeness, and, and what that means, uh, means for us. And then when we get into chapter 3, the second half of the, the book of Colossians is about uh, submission to, to Christ, submission to who he is. Basically, what is our response? What happens through us after we, we understand and we accept uh, who Jesus is? So we have, we have two things. What, what Jesus did for us, that's number one. And then what does Jesus do through us, number two. So we're just going to step through this passage uh, verse by verse and, and to, to kind of get a little bit more perspective and understand how does this apply to us now? This, this book that was written 2,000 years ago, this letter to, to a bunch of churches that were in Turkey, uh, how, does this, how does this apply to us now? So starting with verse 20, just reading that again. Since you died with Christ, there's a really good phrase to keep in the back of your mind. To the elemental, elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to these, to these rules? So there's this theme of freedom. And Paul's trying to, to dive into the idea of freedom here. And, and, and freedom's not new uh, to, to what God has tried to do in the world. We can go back to the Old Testament. And we can look at the, the Israelites, who kind of are the predecessors. They are our spiritual example. And if you don't know much about the Israelites, well, they, they, were, God's, they, they were God's chosen chosen people, but they were enslaved in Egypt, and then they were crying out. And so God said, Moses, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt to the, to the land I have prepared for them. And so Moses is doing this, and they're, they're making this short little trip, 
Okay, if you look on a map, the, the, the trip from Egypt to Israel is not, as compared to where other places they could go, not super long, but it's, it's through the desert. So it was, it was a, tough, a tough short walk that they, they had to go. And so as they're in the desert, as they're making this walk, they're, they're just days released from the captivity of their slavery. You start to hear things like this. Where's Moses taking us? Is he crazy? Back in Egypt when we were enslaved, at least we had meat in our pots. At least we had a place to lay our head and to rest. We weren't out here under the stars. So there was, there was grumbling and they were looking back to, to better times of slavery. Right? That seems like a little bit of a crazy thing. And Paul's saying the same thing to us. Why, when we have experienced freedom, do we look back like we still belong to the, the things of the world that we were attached to? So freedom does not look back. Keep that in mind this morning, that freedom, the freedom that we experience in Christ does not look back. See, all of us, uh, all of us at one point or another, we started off slaves to sin. And, and, and sin is what we do to get this feeling of completeness or wholeness uh, apart from God. And so we, we do things that are contrary to the character of God, contrary to the way God designed us and, and how we're designed to function. And so that protects us that protects our old nature. I, I like to call the old nature our false self. Paul calls it the flesh. We'll see it as, as we go through. All of those things kind of mean the same thing. They mean who we are apart from God. And it, it, it makes, it's what makes us feel valuable and, and effective. And so there's a difference though between not looking back and, and remembering. See, what Paul's talking about here, looking back, is looking back with longing. Looking back for, uh, for, for, a t for satisfaction. And so there, there was a time when we all got our identities from the systems of the world. Whether it's from a role or a result or a relationship, or maybe you still struggle with this. This part of our, our sanctification, our following Christ, is that we, we, put to death, we put to death these things. So we, we, we've been people who have measured our worth and our significance the way everyone else does. And so Paul, at the beginning of chapter, uh, verse 20, he says, you died with Christ. We've, we've been freed of this need to protect our, our significance apart from God. We've been freed from, from, from protecting ourselves by looking for success looking for more. I need more of whatever is making me happy. More, more, more. I, I need to be happy. This is the way that, that the, the culture and the world measures worth. How much happiness, how much, how much money, how many relationships, all sorts of things. But that's not the way we're supposed to see ourselves anymore. We have now a given identity rather than an earned identity. Okay? Our identity who we are, why we matter, what our purpose is, has been given to us, rather than having to be earned. But why, why? Why do we have this tendency then to look back? I know in the last few months I've struggled with this. I've looked back to some things and I've been like, well, wasn't, wasn't this part of my life a little better before? Wouldn't it be a little better before if I just ignore the, these, these little things that God expects of me? Well, I think we do that because it's comfortable. To look back we know it right it's worked for us to a degree before it's convenient it's easy everybody else is doing it so why shouldn't I do it 
You know, I, I don't have to get strange looks. Fear. Fear of where God's leading you, where he's taking you. Because Jesus, I don't know if you know this, he promised that there's going to be trials and there's going to be struggles and following him is a hard thing to do. We should be afraid. So continuing on, following Paul through this little journey, we get to, we get to verses 21 and 22. So Paul says, do not handle. He's, he's given us the do nots. Now, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all, that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. So what Paul's specifically addressing is this teaching that was running rampant through the church was called asceticism. And what asceticism is, is it is discomfort or pain or misery to prove your spirituality. So people in the church, uh, they, were, they, were, they were not eating food. They were not partaking the Lord's Supper. They were not eating meat. They were, they were eating bread and water only and bragging about how spiritual that made them. Through the history of the church, you find, you find times when people are sleeping on cold stone. They won't use heat. They... they, they any number of things that, that are inconveniences or, or, or unhealthy as a way to prove their love for God. Some people nail themselves to a cross. Right? We saw that. It gives us control over our relationship with God. It, it puts us in control when we, when we have to earn or when we have to prove ourselves or when we can show somehow that we are, we are better than somebody else. Now, I just want to take an aside and say this is different than, than real battles with sin, right? We all have things that, that we like. We all have ways that we're tempted. And there's things that we definitely need to avoid. We do have some things we should not be doing. So that's not what Paul is talking about. He's not giving license. Just go around, do, what, do whatever you want. You know, if, if having a couple of beers is going to cause you to lose control and do weird things and, and, and violate your relationship with God, then you should not drink. But making a standard that everyone should not drink because that's what makes you spiritual, that, that, is, that is saying something that the Bible does not say. And what Paul's also saying is this is different than the commands that we have been given. You know, in the Old Testament, there's, 10, there's a top 10 list, right? Do not murder, do not commit adultery. There's a few do nots there. Paul's not saying ignore those either. What he is saying is these are the things that come out from what's inside of us. The Ten Commandments uh, were, were meant, to come, meant to be the fruit of a right relationship, seeing yourself uh, in the image of God. So the reason for this is behavior modification. Just a focus on changing how you act does not change what's inside. And, and this is our tendency. I mean, even in Jesus' day, he addressed this. He, the, he called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. Right? He said they looked beautiful on the outside, but inside they were dried bones. They had practiced behavior modification. They knew all the right acts, but nothing inside was changed. They didn't know or love God any more than, than people who did not know the right things to do. So we add to. Right? I'm sure we've all been to, to that church or we've had that bad experience in church of, no, you can't wear this or no, you can't read that or no, you can't watch that. Okay? We're so fond of the don'ts to prove who we are. What we have to balance that with is what Paul writes when he writes to the Roman church. He says, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. He's saying there's nothing, there's nothing good in me. 
My tendency, if left to my own devices, is bad stuff. To, to, to worship myself, to do what feels good. For I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. So these do-nots, these things that we do to prove our love, to, to prove who we are, this is how we hide from God. Right? This, is, this is the image that we put on to keep God at arm's length. So instead of addressing what's going on inside, we put on behaviors to keep God at bay, maybe to keep him quiet, to keep life rolling along smoothly. Because that's, that's what we ultimately want. Right? We want the smooth life that we can, we can go and everything, everything is going to continue to get better and better and better until till the day we die and then we get to see Jesus. And if only it was always that easy. So if you're here and you, you define your spiritual life by what you don't do, or if you define your spiritual life by what you do do, sorry, I just said do-do. It always makes me laugh. I, sorry, I shouldn't even have said that. I'm an infant inside, so that's part of my growth process. If you define your spiritual life by what you do for God, okay, we're going to avoid that, there's a problem. Because that's... That, that on the, the outside does not interest God. He wants to start with what's inside and then, then have that bear fruit for him. So we would rather live by the rules of the world than the riches of God's kingdom. He has so much more for us than just obeying the rules. He has life for us. So verse 23 says, Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. That, that phrase at the end, sensual indulgence, uh, if you're familiar, if you've read through Paul, uh, when he talks about the flesh, that's the same word in the Greek uh, for sensual indulgence. Uh, the flesh, again, the old nature, the false sense of self, where we're finding value uh, apart from God. And so, what I like in this, too, is in our culture, we've swung the pendulum the other way. We have a lot of the do not do, but we also have, uh, we've put a priority on self-indulgence, right? There's so many things that I want to do. How can I do those things but still consider myself a follower of Jesus? You know, we want, we want to be empowered. We want to live authentic lives. These are kind of the key words that we hear going around uh, in church and other places. And so we, we, we indulge, we deny ourself, uh, ourself nothing, and we create this Christianity that's an amalgamation uh, of God-sounding beliefs, has an appearance uh, of wisdom, an appearance of piety, of piousness. And so we hear words like love and potential and fullness and, and, and justice and security and comfort, and we hear those things, and, and those are all things God wants, right? All of them are. Those are all part of who God is. But we, we go about them in our own way, through our own strength. And sometimes we just cut out the parts of the story that we don't want to hear that, that press up against uh, what we want and what, the way we really want to live. And so whereas the, 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 um, the first way kept us in control, right? The don'ts keep us in control of our spirituality. This is a way for us to create our own security. Right? If I don't have to worry about making a mistake, then I feel much more secure. Where God wants us definitely to feel secure. That's why, that's why this outside part, God is not so concerned with at the beginning. It's the inside because we have security there. And so we have this self-imposed 
way of following God, this, this self-approved, this, this I'm going to say what's good and what's not good. I'm going to create my own truth. I'm going to, I'm going to make myself the center of everything that, that I do and believe about God. And so this idea of modifying our behavior, which is the do's and the don'ts that we, we want to live by, this protects the false sense of identity. It keeps, us, keeps it working for us, keeps us feeling valuable and happy, and we don't, we don't have to worry about necessarily changing anything or changing anything we don't want to change. So this idea of false humility, we really desire glory, right? So Jesus addresses this in Matthew chapter 6. He talks about people who do their giving, but they do their giving in front of everybody openly. He says, hey, look at me. I'm putting a big wad of cash into the, into the, the, the pot that they, they used to use in the temple. Or, or they, they get in the street corner and they pray and where, why everybody can see them and what they're doing. Or, or they fast and they, and they put pained looks on their faces. And they do that so that everybody will see. So they'll get affirmation of, oh, you're so spiritual. I wish I was as spiritual as you. And, and what Jesus says is, They've got their reward in full. Just, just like those guys hanging on the cross. If they are doing that to atone for their own sins, then the accolades they're getting, they got their, they've got their reward in full. It leads to, the, it leads to us gratifying this, this false nature that we have. We, our tendency is we make works a condition of grace. If I do enough good things, then God is going to love me, or God's going to accept me, or God's gonna, God's gonna forget, forgive me. But God intends what you do to be the fruit of your faith. There's a difference there. We create an image rather than being conformed. We create this image of who, who Jesus or who we think Jesus wants us to be, and then we try to step into that rather than being conformed to, to, to who Jesus already is. So we want self-help Jesus, right? We want, we want him to make the things, the problems in our life go away while having just enough of him to, to follow. And so, so Jesus states this plainly. These are his words. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They come in and go out and find pasture. So Jesus says, all your effort, that's for nothing. I am the gate. If you want to get closer to God, if you want a changed life, if you want, if you want a spiritual fruit, then you have to come in through me. And this is, this is what the turning point is for Paul. Is we're, we're just finished up with Colossians chapter 2. We're getting ready to step in, in, into chapter 3. That's the transition that Paul's making here. We're going from what do we do to try to prove ourselves to be our own gate to Jesus is the gate. And so in chapter 3, verse 1, says, Since then you have been raised, there's a good word, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. I, I like to liken this question to, to this. Do you want a resuscitated life or do you want a resurrected life? A, a resuscitated life is you just you want you want to be effective. You want the things that are going on to work out for you, but you want to live the same. Or do you want a resurrected life? Do you want a new, completely different life? Uh, that, and that's what Christ is offering. 
When we're trying to live the resuscitated life, there, there's confusion about what freedom is. You know, freedom isn't necessarily the, 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 the ability to do just whatever we want. Freedom has, freedom has guidelines. There's confusion about our position. When we live the resuscitated life, we put, we put ourselves in a higher position than, than we ought to be. We are the created, not the creator. There's, there's confusion about what makes us significant. And this is what, where, where Paul says where to start. Where is your heart? Again, going to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. This is, in, this is verse 21 if you, if you happen to be taking notes. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The things you value are proof of, of where your heart is. And so confusion, this confusion of mind about who we are and why we're here and why we matter is, is from not being set above. And I just want to admit to you, I am the worst. I am absolutely the worst at this. My, my thoughts my, my, do not, are not consumed with, with the things above. So I, I, think about, I think about the sales of my book far too much. I think about where's my next opportunity to speak going to come from. I, I, I think about earning my wife's affection and how am I going to do that? Or, or what's, what do I have to do to help my daughter be successful? And, and, or how is my team in football doing? And, and again, none of these are necessarily bad things, but they're not supposed to consume my heart. My heart's not supposed to be set on them. And for me, far too often it is. I struggle with this. When Paul says the word set, he's talking about what is your intention? How hard are you going after this? Set means to seek or to strive in earnest. And it implies that there is, there is direction to our steps, that there is intention and there's discipline to what we're doing. We don't like the word discipline, right? We want to be free. But there is a definite intention to which way we're going. Is, is my heart going to be on things above or is my heart going to be on, on earthly things? In, in the Old Testament, God refers to the Israelites over and over as a stiff-necked people, right? Their stubbornness, their, their unwillingness to follow him. You know, where does that phrase stiff-necked come from? Well, which way are they looking? Are they looking up or are they looking down? Their neck is stiff. They refuse to look up to him as the, the source of, of what, why they mattered and why they were here and what their impact was going to be uh, on the world. Your neck, your neck connects to your, your identity. So the good news and what Paul's entering into here is that those elementary spiritual forces that we saw at the beginning, Jesus, Jesus undid those by what we celebrated on Easter. His resurrection overcame the power that those have on us. In Colossians 2.15, this is a little before the passage that, that we started with today. It says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. See, we have freedom because Jesus showed the powerlessness of those things. He, he showed that we were intended to, to thrive and to grow and to attain everything we were meant to by God through living in, in the image of God. Now, I'm not saying we can't have any fun. I'm not saying we have to walk around dour wearing robes and, and, and only do, only do church-related things. But what I am saying is when you do it, are, is your heart given to God in everything that you do? 
Or are you looking for, for some shot of value and significance, uh, proving that you matter through, through the things you do? Like this is the question that I ask myself in, in so many things that I enter into. Am I doing this because uh, God wants me to do this or am I doing this because I want me to do this? Who you are determines what you do. Who you are determines your, your, your decisions, it determines your beha behaviors, it determines the values uh, of what you say yes or no to and what is right or wrong. So if you find yourself saying yes or no to the right or wrong things, there's a root to that problem. So Christ is supposed to flow through us so that the fruit, the, all the behaviors that we want, come out of us naturally. So go into the second verse of, of this chapter. It says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So Paul goes from the heart, from our, from our sense of what makes us special or valuable to our minds. And so here's, here's my big question. Journal about this. Think about this. Talk about this with your, your kids on the way home. How often do you think about God? When you're not in church, when you're, maybe you're not thinking about God right now. You're thinking about lunch. That, that happens to me too. How often do you think about God? Do you think about him occasionally? Like if we had a one to 10 scale, one being never think, 10 being always think, where would you be? Occasionally? Are you good at compartmentalizing when you think about God? That I can think about God when I'm reading my Bible or I'm, I'm at church or I'm, I'm small group, but all the other times it's, it's no holds barred. I can do whatever I want. Do you think of him frequently or do you think about God only when you're reminded or only when you need something or only when you feel guilty about something that you did? Our minds should be saturated with thoughts of God. Amen. Everything we do, and, and I'm not saying this, please don't hear this from the standpoint of somebody who's got this all figured out. This is what I'd like to be, in all honesty. I'm working on it. It's tough, because everything around us presses us to not, right? It presses us to think about all these other things, how glamorous and how enticing they are. But our every thought should, uh, should be saturated with God. And this determines how you view yourself. When, you're, when your thoughts are saturated with, with God, this determines, do you believe the lies about yourself, all the, the, the things the world will tell you that makes you worthless and how you don't measure up and how you need to do more? Or do you believe the truth about who you are that God has said through Christ that you are enough, that you are accepted, that you are loved beyond measure? Which, which, one, which way are you going to go? There's one way that's restful to live. There's one way that is exhausting to live. This, the, the, how, if your mind's saturated with God, this, this determines how you view others. Are others going to be a way for you to get what you want, or are others going to be people for you to love? We, we should look at the earth through our lens of Christ, not vice versa. When we look at Christ through the lens of what's going on around us in the world, then we are going to be dissatisfied and we're going to have false beliefs that he has abandoned us and he's not with us when quite the opposite is true. So the third verse in, in this chapter in Colossians says, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So it's not hidden from God, right? Our life's not hidden from him. We don't that's what we try to do ourselves. We try to wrap ourselves up like Adam and Eve did, putting fig leaves on, hiding in the bushes so God won't see us. We are, we are hidden in God. We are, we are surrendered. 
we have we have one purpose with him. We have one one will with him. We are hidden in and we have security there. That security that we long for to know that everything's going to be all right, to know that I'm not going to be re rejected at a fundamental level. We have that. That's what hiddenness means. We are, we're concealed. We're clothed with Christ. And if we, we, had, a, we had another hour, I'd get to the point in Colossians chapter 3, uh, and you're, you're saying, thank God he doesn't have another hour. We get to the point in Colossians chapter 3 where he talks about we are clothed with Christ. When God looks at us, he sees Jesus. And, and that's, that's everything. I had a, a brother-in-law who uh, he, he used to talk to me about. He was so hidden. He was a closet Christian. He didn't want people to know. He, he liked his beliefs here, and then he liked, to live, he liked to live out here. And that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's not saying, hide, hide who you are, hide Jesus from people. He's saying, you're hidden in God. When, when, when you go out into the world, it, it's, what, it's God that people should see. It's Jesus. And, and sometimes the world's not going to understand that because they, they, don't, they don't understand spiritual things always because we have the Holy Spirit. They don't, but that's not our problem. Right? That's, God is the one that works all, all that out. So in Mark, again, Jesus' words, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. When we're hidden in his image, which we were created to function in, everything is spiritual. Okay? Everything about who we are, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, everything is spiritual. So, so wrapping up what Paul, Paul wrote in, chapter, uh, in verse 4, it says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So everything in our lives, everything in the world is working to one point. There, there is one thing that is coming up on the horizon. We don't know when. We don't know how. Okay, we're not supposed to care when or care how, but we're supposed to be aware that there's going to be the restoration of all things, the namesake of this church. Okay, the name of this church should keep you pointing forward. That the, the original intended order of things, that God the image shining down and us living freely in that image is going to be restored, and that's going to happen when Jesus returns. And so Paul is saying, after he talks about how we have been raised uh, in Christ, he's saying we are going to appear with him in glory. That we are going to be part of that. So that gives us something to look forward to. Right? We all know that, that life is a little more fun when you have something to look forward to. Right? Whether it's a vacation or whether it's a graduation or some significant event. That's why we mark these things on our calendar. That's, that's good stuff. But there is one ultimate thing that, that every part of our day should be looking forward to. With anticipation and eagerness and excitement. And that is Jesus coming back. So I'm, I'm going to leave you with this verse to, to dwell on. This is, this is John, one of the other disciples of Jesus, and he, this, this is how he write this, wrote this. He says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. See, we died to earning our identity ourselves and exhausting ourselves. We were raised to be new creations, to, to live in freedom. And now we get to look forward to the, to the, the restoration. So there's a life, there's contentment, and there's, there's rest for our weary souls. Please pray with me. God, thank you so much for, for Paul writing this letter, uh, 
couple thousand years ago that applies to us just as, just as equally now. And I, I pray for, for all of us, God, that we would spend a little time thinking about the things that we, that we are trying to do to prove ourselves, to prove how spiritual we are, and that we would repent and we would, we would discard those things and we would fully embrace our identity, who we are in, in Jesus that we would, we would accept grace, not on any conditions or terms, but we would accept grace because you have offered it. And that's, that's how you want us to live, as, as free, grace-filled people, at rest, not striving, fully saturated with thoughts of, thoughts of you. So thank you. Thank you for this morning and this, this great church. In Jesus' name, amen.